0: The Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person excited to be at the Blue State Ball tonight. Hey, hunters behind the thing. Hello. Are you going to go to the Blue State Ball? Of
1: course I'm going to be there. (laughs) I'm going to be DJing the Blue State Ball.
0: DJing? Yeah. Ooh, so what kind of music are you going to play?
1: Well, I'll have some, like protest music during oh. the early stages of it <laughs> and then later on some like dan- classic dance hits any beatles we can do that that'd
0: be nice like come together right now over me i kind of like that might be kind of fun
1: yeah and i guess since it's the day of today if people want to make requests tweet the am 950 radio twitter and i'll get them in
0: okay and uh, people can get tickets at the door it's tonight saturday this is airing on saturday it's a wonderful party show up it's and show up it's a beautiful blue state ball and um i'm really excited about um today's show on food freedom radio we're going to be joined by three trailblazers in the organic movement lauren langworth is the current acting director of moses jim riddle is the moses Organic Farmer of the Year. And Sylvia uh, is um, she also has a food podcast called Deep Roots Radio, and she does Bronx to, uh, uh, the Bronx to the Barn. So um, we're going to be talking all about the organic movement. And joining us now is Lauren. Um, hi, Lauren. Welcome. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So tell
2: us, what is uh, MOSES? Well, MOSES stands for the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service. We're a nonprofit that educates farmers and helps them network with each other to kind of figure out the best practices in organic and sustainable agriculture and how to move their businesses forward.
0: And I always want to always start with your personal story. So um, you grew up, you you share that you were, um, that you went to your grandparents' farms, but you never expected that farming would be part of your own life. So tell us a little bit about that.
3: Yeah,
2: well, it. Um, I grew up, I was very lucky to grow up in a nice small town in southeast Minnesota called Zambroda um, And I would visit my grandparents' farm down in south-central Minnesota frequently. Uh, we have a close family, and so we'd spend a lot of time there. Um, that was the sort of farm that I now own myself, and it certainly wasn't I pictured in my future. Um, I just loved being there. I, I enjoyed being with my grandparents, and I enjoyed being outside. Um, Instead, I was kind of a nature kid. I spent a lot of time wandering around in the woods and checking out the creeks and um, adopting random wildlife as my parents would allow me to. And I ended up studying anthropology in school and through kind of a series of strange events ended up uh, starting a farm with my husband who was really interested in sustainable agriculture and studied that in school. And he had spent a lot of time interning and and working on, on organic farms primarily around the country and was really interested in starting our own business so I kind of followed along and we started with about two acres in market garden, worked our way up to about five acres in market garden. We were selling wholesale produce as well as doing a CSA um, and farmer's markets and all sorts of things. Um, and through the last couple of years now, we've transitioned fully into grazing. And so we raise about 200 head, uh, 200 ewe flock of sheep. Um, we raise them for meat and we also harvest their wool. And then we also have a small beef herd. But. They're all doing uh, carbon sequestration and and regenerative practices on our farm here. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That's you in a nutshell. (laughs) Okay,
0: So um, describe what it's like right now for farmers. What's the economic conditions um, in rural areas of our country?
2: Yeah, well, a lot of people are struggling to put it lightly. Particularly in some industries, those that are are more tightly tied to commodity marketplaces, Um, dairy in particular is in a really bad place. Um, A lot of farmers have had contracts cut with the buyers who purchase their milk and process it into something that can be sold on on grocery store shelves. Um, Not every state, but many states have laws against actually selling your raw milk um, or raw dairy products, and so that makes it really tricky for farmers who can't find a processor to work with to actually market their products. And so a lot of them are going out of business if the, the processors change their contracts or, or change the the pricing that they're offering farmers. Um, so there's a lot of, of hardship going on there. Um, but it's not just true in dairy. It's it's also the case in a lot of the commodities Um the prices are down, um, expenses to produce are up, and then as we add on things like steel tariffs, equipment and, and repairs become more expensive, and so um, a lot of farmers are struggling, and they're looking for new ways, alternative ways to market their products, to connect with consumers, and to produce things in a lower cost fashion.
0: Right, and so one of the advantages organic has over industrial agriculture is it can actually be less expensive because you have lower input cost.
2: Yeah, that certainly can be true. Um, as with pretty much everything in agriculture, the the catchphrase is it depends, yeah. and so. Um, Depending on exactly what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it, it can be a very low-cost means of production. Um, You're not spending money on expensive fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides to maintain your your crops, for example. Um, You're not putting low levels of antibiotics into feed, which can cause a lot of expense. Um, Instead, you're looking at preventative practices and rotations and you're trying to create a diverse system for yourself so that if one crop fails, you have others that you can rely on that can all be really great for for someone and as a grazer myself that's a very low cost um, means of production but of course if you are using amendments or fertilizers or health supplements for your your livestock for example um, many of the organic uh, supports many of the organic aids are more expensive than the conventional aids Um, so while you're trying to reduce your need for them if you do need them they can be quite expensive right
0: and so last weekend was the moses the 30th annual moses uh, conference so tell us about that conference
2: Oh, it's so much fun. <laughs> I, I attended as a farmer for several years before I became a staff person, and um, it's just, we call it the great gathering. Um, everyone who is there is there with such great intentions, and um, it's such a wonderful, warm community of farmers. They all want each other to succeed. They they generally don't see each other as in competition, but rather um, – we're all supporting each other and all helping each other's businesses get better. And so, um, there's usually between sixty and sixty-five workshops. Um, we have roundtable discussions, a film series. There's childcare and teen space for the youth to be involved. Um, a huge exhibit hall with 170 uh, plus vendors there, and just some of the best food and best networking you can find at any conference around. If I if I can say so myself. So and so part of it is how do we all come together to really
0: help um organics. Let's tie this into um climate change because changing our food system is one of the best things we can do to be climate resilient. And and so how does how does this connect?
2: Well, you know, I I'm obviously fairly biased, but I think that so much of our countryside has the power to, um, adjust the trajectory that we're on with climate change. Um, the, the less tillage we're doing and more that we can keep in perennial cover, for example, um, that can help us build biological activity in our soil and that can help us, um, keep the land in, in perennial cover like grasslands, for example, with grazing that can actually be. Active, and, and to manage some of our water cycles better than they currently are being managed. And so, okay, uh,
0: now you're breaking up a little bit, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of jump in on another thing. I really wanted to get in here is this idea of the federal policy. I mean, health-wise, it would be all so much better off if we ate more fruits and vegetables. But the system really supports the corn and the soybeans and the corn syrup. So, um, how do how does a, organic farmers compete against um, or within this system? How do we move the system?
2: Well, I think a lot of organic farmers are trying to uh, develop their own food co-ops, for example, um, producer cooperatives, so that they can sell their products. Uh, they're also getting closer to the consumer in many ways, so they're selling through a CSA directly to consumers instead of trying to sell into um, some large aggregator. There's certainly some of that, but um, trying to step outside of the commodity system can really help organic producers. Um similarly you know just educating consumers and and helping them to understand a little bit better what their food dollar choices mean so while it it doesn't help the planet very much to spend money on animals that were raised in confinement They can actually do a lot of good sequestering carbon if they're out on grass and managed in a rotational grazing system. So trying to get a sense of which pieces of the puzzle can really move the needle furthest and and then work on our policy to support those things so that our our Natural Resource Conservation Service, for example, can use their dollars to support good practices and, and really help farmers take a bite out of climate change and I want to
0: get into this um idea of organic farming um not versus but and how it compares to regenerative farming that some people have become concerned that organic that word organic has been diluted by by some other values you want to speak on that
2: certainly um yeah, I think it's important to know that that most uh certified organic farmers, I, I would say especially on the small scale end of things, um, they tend to have values that are far beyond what the label actually covers. Um, for those who don't know, certified organic is actually a label that's protected by the USDA. Um, and so in order to get that label on your product, you need to adhere to what's called the National Organic Program. It's a long list of rules and it really has a lot to do with how your food is produced, what, what systems systems are used. And one of the low-lying rules is
0: that it cannot be GMO. Right now, the rule is if it's GMO, it's not organic.
2: Correct. Correct. Um, And so... Knowing that something isn't GMO and also knowing that it wasn't produced with synthetics, those are some of the basics. But many farmers have additional desires beyond that that include social justice social and justice. Um, better practices We're come for back. animal
0: welfare. We're going to be taking a break and you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM
4: 950. Let's- I'm Connie Burek, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind-body-spirit-emotion perspective. On the Awakened Living Radio Show, we will discuss stress, self-care, fear, happiness, beliefs, communication, joy, pain, trauma, and more. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion radio show Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life.
5: Moe's Tax Service in St. Paul is one of the most successful independently owned tax services in the entire country. They offer a diverse team of highly trained and screened tax preparation experts for personal and business tax needs. This year especially, changes to the tax code make it even more important for you to have someone who is a dedicated tax preparation professional. Mo's has been in the business since 1971. Visit them at mohstax.com. That's M-O-H-S-tax.com. Or give them a call, 612-721-2026.
6: This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment.
5: Catch new beginnings with Freddie Bell, Saturdays at 11 on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Hi, this is Charlie. Dad, do I have to say this next line? Do you want to sleep inside tonight? My dad is beloved, world-famous
1: radio broadcaster Matt McNeil. Perfect! Anyway, my mom and dad want me safe when I'm driving in winter weather. That's why the vehicle they trust is the Toyota Sienna, and
5: the dealership they trust is Rudy Luther Toyota. They keep me safe. With my son driving this winter, I trust Rudy Luther, and you can too. Stop in today and become a Rudy Luther Toyota family. The southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley.
1: Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra-virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. In the dark, Trying to get to Holland
0: so, welcome back. Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking about a wonderful conference that happened last weekend called the Moses Comfort Aunt Conference, and joining us on the phone right now is Farmer of the Year. Moses is Farmer of the Year. Um, good morning, and uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Jim Riddle.
5: Well, thanks, and thanks for having me, and I, I have to say I'm only one of the two of the partnership. It's my wife, Joyce Ford, and I at Blue Fruit Farm, uh, so i got to give credit where credit's due.
0: Yeah, Okay, so what does it mean to you to be uh named Organic Farmer of the year
5: well uh, it's a huge honor and and uh, um, especially um, i this was the thirtieth anniversary of the Moses conference, and I was at the very first one i haven 't missed one wow. but I assume I got it for good attendance. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, it's an organization that just does tremendous work helping farmers, helping young farmers, female farmers, uh, new to organic people learn about organic, learn how to be successful, learn how to manage their finances, their soil, access markets, and so uh, it's a huge honor for both Joyce and I to receive this award.
0: Okay, so I want to hear uh, again about your personal background, because you grew up on a small, diversified farm, which was all pretty much organic before there was a name, right? Because that's the way farming was done.
5: Yeah, yeah, we didn't uh, know it was organic. We had a few dairy cows, raised sweet corn, uh, but most importantly, I would say, uh, we had a subscription to organic gardening back in the early 1970s. And so we always had a garden and put up a lot of food, and my mom mulched things and had a compost pile, and and uh, so to me, that was second nature, uh, growing up that way. And then we had a pond back in the woods where I grew up fishing, so that's also part of my life and story, but because my mom had a compost pile and mulched, I knew where to find earthworms to help me catch fish.
0: That was a fun way to grow up, wasn't it?
5: <laughs> yeah, that was in uh, south-central Iowa. And then I, I I had a scholarship from the Maytag uh, Foundation and graduated from Grinnell College with degrees in biology and political science. So I've kind of followed that path of uh, um, environmental activism through organic agriculture.
0: Right. So you've been an organic inspector, a consultant, educator, speaker, and activist. So what changes have you seen over the last um, 30 years?
5: Well, um, uh, I moved up to southeast Minnesota. My sister was living in this area and met Joyce, and uh, she was already doing organic uh, market gardening, selling at a, a very small, disorganized farmer's market in La Crosse, and we got invited to help uh, start a market in Winona, and uh, right from the get-go, uh, us and some other core growers, we formed our own association and set rules. So we said you had to grow it or process it yourself within a 50-mile radius of Winona. And that was way before the local food movement, and um, it is a thriving market and has stuck to those basic rules. And so it's a place where there's a great exchange of information. It's a place to be on Saturday mornings at Winona. and um, But it took time, and people didn't really... Reward, you know, organic. We were certified organic way back then. But what they really wanted was fresh and tasty and healthy and, you know, knowing the farmers. And so uh, that was a great way to introduce people to our production methods and how, you know, we didn't used to have the laws and, you know, a, a federal definition to protect and define what organic means back then. There was, you know, quite a bit of skepticism. People was like, "Oh, it's back to the horse and buggy days." And in reality, organic is cutting edge agriculture. It's <laughs> learning how nature works and then producing abundant, healthy food in harmony with with nature, with natural systems. Uh, one of and, the
0: yeah, one of the speakers at the Nobel Conference fifty four, David Montgomery, has a new book, and he actually says that we are in the fifth um, agriculture revolution, and that is the regenerative, or the restorative, and the understanding the. Uh, the organic that that is really the cutting edge. The industrial system is actually the older system.
5: Oh, for sure. And it, it, you know, it, it, I put try and put it in perspective when I give talks that really it is the outlier. It is the experiment. It's only been going on sixty, seventy years, and look at the results. You know, depleted soils, polluted water, both surface and groundwater, and deteriorating human health a loss of biodiversity, just go down the line and you see the consequences of the system that we've been experimenting with for the past 70 years.
0: I want to talk about that loss of uh, pollinators. I was at a presentation yesterday from uh, a, a presenter from the Minnesota Zoo was talking about the rust, rusty patch bumblebee. The yeah. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has listed this as endangered under the Endangered Species Act, and the zoo has found some on their property, so it's, it's exciting. Um, but now you... In your farm, you also have pollinator habitat restoration.
5: Yeah, yeah. we Several things that we have going on that really are sustaining the native bee populations, and there's all kinds of species. Um, But some of the fruits we grow, like the honeyberry, is blooming in like around April 20th, when nothing else is blooming.
3: Right, and And I have honeyberries in my yard.
5: Those overwintering um, uh, queen bumblebees, and I'm not sure what species this is, but they're out there foraging on days when it's in the mid-40s and cloudy, right. when a honeybee wouldn't even think of leaving its hive. And here the the... Uh, Bumblebees are out there, and so they're gathering pollen and nectar and building up their own reserves so they can have healthy broods. Um, and then it goes on and on. But we also uh, have planted quite a few um, native plants, so native prairie plants, uh, hairy mountain mint, anise hyssop, butterfly weed, New Jersey tea, in amongst uh, our plum trees in that part of our farm. And then on the outside of our fruit field, we have acres of restored native prairie and work with a firm uh, prairie moon nursery where we collect and sell seed through them.
0: That sounds so beautiful to me. It really is so awesome. And, and, and I wish that I wish that um, how, how can you describe that feeling of, of being in in that space?
5: Well. To me, it, it's spiritual. It's, it's very meditative. And, um, I, have found great value. And this is probably from growing up in the woods and, uh, you know, to just stop and listen and let nature be and to be one within nature. And, um, you know, we're in a fairly remote location. We aren't up against conventional farm fields. Um, and there's not a lot of traffic or lights. At night, and so it's a great place. I go out cross country skiing every day that I'm home, just and that's my special time. I don't take a cell phone, I don't want to be disrupted. I just want to breathe and feel and listen and take it all in. And um, it goes year round, there's always opportunities to listen to nature.
0: Yeah, Um, I I want to touch on this organic 2051. I know we're going to be taking a break pretty soon, so um, do you want to briefly touch on organic 50 2051? (laughs)
5: yeah well um it, it was a special event right before the Moses conference uh that brought together i would call a hundred or so thought leaders from the organic community uh and um uh people uh um broke up into small areas of interest uh for discussion to envision where we need to be in 30 years to sustain life on Earth, essentially, um, and to have a thriving, healthy, organic agriculture, food, and farming sector. So we're listening to
0: Food Freedom Radio. I'm going to take a little bit of a break. This is Jim Riddle, um, Moses Farmer of the Year. We'll be right back.
1: Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm, seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior, online at vinaigrettemn.com.
4: Enjoy a delicious home-cooked breakfast or lunch away from the kitchen at Milda's Cafe. Now open seven days a week, Milda's Cafe has been cooking up family favorites since 1964. Grab a coffee and sit down for a delicious Philly scramble, house rolls, or Denver omelet. Stop in for lunch where you'll find authentic Finnish pasties every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Open weekdays six to three, weekends eight to two. Milda's
3: Cafe on Glenwood Avenue, four blocks east of Penn. We are given the gift of intuition on how to care for ourselves and our families, but too often we forsake that knowledge for the voice of authority. Green Tea Conversations is a radio show for people like you who are on a journey to take responsibility for their health and who want to play a more active role in their family's well-being. I'm your host, Candy Brothel, publisher of the Twin Cities edition of Natural Awakenings Magazine, and I'm excited to bring Green Tea Conversations into your home. Join me every Sunday at 10 a.m. as I interview local experts straight from the pages of Natural Awakenings who will share progressive ideas in the latest natural approaches in nutrition, fitness, creative expression, personal growth, and sustainable living in a fun and informative way. Podcasts of the show are available anytime at naturaltwincities.com, am950radio.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. So grab a cup of tea and join the conversations on Sundays at 10 a.m. as we awaken to natural health.
6: Native Roots Radio is proud to announce...
1: With your AM950 weather, I'm Hunter Haas. Saturday, chance of snow, partly sunny with a high near 18. Sunday, mostly sunny and cold with a high near 3. And Monday, partly sunny with a high near 6. This week's EatLocalMinnesota.com Restaurant of the Week is The Great Wall. Just north of 50th and France in Edina, The Great Wall Restaurant has been providing a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Find out more at EatLocalMinnesota.com.
0: to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and we are talking about Moses Conference. And joining us by phone is the uh, Farmer of the Year from the Moses Conference, Jim Riddle. Um, Jim, when we left, you were talking a little bit about 2051, Organic 2051. What do you see as the future of organic?
5: Well, um, the future of organic is protecting the integrity of the standards that we have to keep building uh, the market so that shoppers are getting genuine organic items that are grown in healthy living soil um, so I think we need to keep an emphasis on what's happening in Washington, D.C., make sure the standards live up to the law and the regulations and that farmers are following them, for one. But uh, the other thing that I, I think we need to really look at, and, and this was, came out of 2051 discussions, is the future of organic farming, um, not just the regulations and, and the market, but who are the people And so being very welcoming to conventional farmers that want to transition, switch over to organic, having a place at the table for beginning farmers, for veterans, for minorities, for urban agriculture, and for broad scale, big, big agriculture, too. There's a room for anyone who wants to engage in the organic, and we've got to keep growing it because we're importing more and more organic foods all the time, and that's lost opportunity. It's lost environmental protection benefits that we should be capturing here in the United States. So um, really uh, helping support policies that can move us forward and help farmers enter the, the organic sector.
0: Great. So, tell us the impressions of the conference that that uh, the Moses conference that you had. Yeah,
5: yeah. I I mentioned earlier, I've never missed one. So I was Mm -hmm. there at the first one when it was around ninety people, and it used to be I knew just about everybody. (laughs) And now when I go through the crowds, I hardly know anybody, and I love it. You know, there's just so many new people. And yeah, I mean, we had a wonderful time. So many old friends, people we've worked with. And nothing that Joyce and I have done has been done in a vacuum. It's always been in partnership. And there were so many people there that we've shared, um, you know, efforts and successes and some challenges with. But what really was inspiring to me was on Saturday, the keynote panel on Saturday was three very different young farmers two female, one male. Um, and one doing pastured pork, another doing organic dairy, and another kind of a urban uh, farming in the Eau Claire area and, and doing some uh, small-scale processing. Each of the, their presentations were so powerful, so inspiring. And so well-received because it showed that we aren't just going to listen to us old people. We, We really need to listen to the young people and the skills and the energy that they bring to the table. And just throughout the conference, so much youthful energy and optimism. And I go to a number of conferences and have been active in other farm organizations. And, you know, there's just a lot more gray hair and nothing wrong with that i've got my share but there's you know it's an older demographic and a lot more complaining and here you have people just sharing information sharing enthusiasm and helping you know lift everyone up and move us all forward so
0: well, and it that, was
3: probably that is... the most
5: the most impactful conference i've attended
3: wow
0: that and that is how we gather that that spirit because in the time of climate change and uh, the what's happening with the dead soil moon in the fact-based world, there's a lot of tragedy right now.
5: Yeah, yeah, but I'm so excited that, you know, we're finally paying attention to the frontier beneath our feet. There's so much we don't understand about soil ecosystems, soil microbiomes, and how those same organisms impact the health of the plants, the health of the animals, our health, etc. So to me, that's another really exciting development, which was, Front and center throughout the conference, soil health.
0: Yeah, and, um, yeah so there is more life in a, in a handful of soil than there are humans that have ever lived on the planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's <laughs> complex. Yeah. It is complex, and it's, it's yeah. really um, a living world.
5: Right, for sure. Uh-huh.
0: Um, I, I thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, Jim Riddle, uh, Moses's Farmer of the Year, also has bluefruitfarm.com. Is there anything else you'd like to um, share? Well,
5: um just yeah, if people are interested, uh, the things we grow, blueberries, black currants, aronia berries, elderberries and the honeyberries I mentioned, um yeah, uh, check out our website and if you're interested, uh, please contact us and we deliver in the Winona, Lacrosse, Rochester and Twin Cities areas. So, we'd love to uh, share some of our fruit with you somewhere down the road.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, Jim. Uh, next, we're going to be joined uh, by Sylvia Bogus-Toughness, uh, and she, has, uh, she, has, um, uh, she grew up in the South Bronx. She's a Latina and grew up in the South Bronx that never imagined she would be a farmer, but that's where she ended up with. <laughs> so welcome, or we ended up doing. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Sylvia.
7: Oh, thanks so much, Laura. It's good to be with you.
0: It's good to be with you, and you also have a radio podcast.
7: Yes, uh, every Saturday morning, 9 to 9.30 Central Time, uh, I produce and co-host a show called Deep Roots Radio. And uh, what we try to do, my co-host and I, is help the listeners connect the dots between what they eat and how it's grown.
0: Why is it important to connect those dots?
7: It's really important to connect those dots because most of us, Uh, The population in the United States, anyway, uh, is not farming these days. So there isn't that familiarity with what it takes to grow our food and what actually goes into it. Lots of us don't know uh, what it is that we're eating, uh, how much labor was involved, how many chemicals may have been used, Mm -hmm. how the animals were treated. And so that's why I interview people from all over the country, from various disciplines. To lift the veil on our American food system and consider other choices, most of them are using sustainable ag or regenerative organic
0: methods. Yeah, that lifting the veil because um, that is that is essential work. Um, do we want to talk about what's underneath if we lift the veil? I mean, do we have the courage to see what is happening and what our agriculture system has done to the planet?
7: Sure. Well, I think the media is doing uh, us a good service in doing those behind-the-fence kinds of reports that let us understand just what happens in a slaughterhouse. Uh, There have been numbers of books and articles about what kind of chemicals are used on our tomatoes and lettuce, um, how animals fare so poorly in food lots, feed lots all over the country. So we have to thank the media, the American media, for that. But, you know, it, it is going to take a lot of courage because the size of conventional agriculture, and, I, and by that I mean industrial agriculture using some very oh, sad practices, is huge compared to those farmers who are now using regenerative organic or sustainable methods. One of the things, though, that I think about uh, is that we need m- – we need those conventional farmers to take a look at organics and see the benefits of using those practices both to their bottom line, you know, they, they have to be profitable in order to continue farming, and also to the health of the land and the animals and ultimately their consumers. So, you know, we need to start from where we are. I know that in conventional or I've heard that in industrial farming, sometimes farmers are really looking for alternatives, but the current policies and the current financial instruments that manage their loans um, really hasn't been a bind and makes it difficult to change. So we're hoping lots of uh, conventional farmers begin to look at organics.
0: Right. That's um, so. I, always, I want to make sure we get in your back, your personal background, because that's a pretty interesting story. So tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs>
7: yeah. Yeah, so I grew up in the South Bronx, in the tenements of the South Bronx, and because my grandparents lived in Spanish Harlem, I spent a lot of time there, too. Fortunately, as a kid, I was able to spend summers uh, in, a, in, really, a tar paper shack on Staten Island because my grandparents had made a decision to use their uh, earnings to kind of buy a, a little bit of a refuge um, for the summer, and it was that time... On Staten Island, at a time when that that <laughs> that part of New York City was uh, very very rural, <laughs> uh, it wasn't even connected to the rest of New York by a bridge. Um, that cemented the thought that I need to spend my life out in the country. Fast, you know, forward. Um, after some time at W at uh, CBS Network Radio in New York City, I ended up at a TV station in the Upper Midwest, in Duluth, Minnesota, and it was there that I got to know eventually farmers um, from all over the area and to be able to offer my time to the organic food sector. So I was, uh, that's where I got to meet Jim Riddle here, um, when, uh, you know, over 30 years ago when he was one of those leaders pushing through the Organic Foods Act of 1990. And so, you know, fast forward again, um, I have spent a a career in public relations and eventually uh, got to move out to Western Wisconsin uh, with my husband and lo and behold, we bought a farm (laughs) about 10 years ago. Then I put some cattle on it and that's, that's why today uh, my husband, David and I are raising grass fed grass finished beef on certified organic pastures and certified organic hay. So it's really kind of pulling all those threads of previous experience together to use our farm as a teaching and conversation platform. We'll never be big. We're a very small farm, uh, but a teaching and conversation platform, so people can begin to understand and what one what is it, what does this kind of good beef taste like? because we do sell our beef commercially, but directly to consumers, and to walk our land with us, we also want to hear their stories. And it's and we have visitors twelve months of the year.
0: And you have this phrase, carbon hoofprint. Yes. What does that mean?
7: So I actually got got that registered as a trademark for our farm. (laughs) We live and farm with a tiny carbon hoofprint. In other words, we work really hard to work for the restoration of our soil, protection of the groundwater, uh, very humane animal management, which ultimately leads to really great-tasting beef. And so that's pretty much our... Aim on our farm, which is called bull Brook Keep because of the bull brook that runs through it. And keep refers to the fact that, we're a, that we consider our farm a stronghold of some very basic values. Right.
0: Values, basic values, because it's not all an extract of how much money I get. I mean, my life is not just money, right? It's ma- Money's like this big phantom running everything, but it's a living world and how we embrace that and how we support it and have a reciprocal relationship with reality.
7: Right. We have many bottom lines. So uh, financial profitability has to be there or else you just can't keep on farming. But it's about contributing to our local community. It's about raising the best quality that we can. It's about being a... a Acreage that is a refuge for our visitors and for our family, and uh, having a life at this time of life that uh, we feel we're doing our little bit uh, for the world.
0: Yeah, um, and when we come back, we're going to need to take a break. Um, but we're talking with Sylvia Borges toughness and uh, she has a Deep Roots Radio podcast. i'll um, Come back, I want to talk about Organic Twenty Fifty One. I also want to talk about how do we scale up. Um, Organic, regenerative, sane, rational, reciprocal um, food systems. Um, How do we do that? So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the Progressive Voice
7: of Minnesota. Total Dog Company exists for people who are serious about their dogs, people who want the best nutrition and the best gear for their dogs. Total Dog Company's mission is to provide high-quality, practical food and gear for dogs and only dogs. Nothing frou-frou or frivolous. Nothing with suspect ingredients, no cat food or wild bird food. Totally dog, from head to wagging tail. Find us in New Hope off of 169 at 9432 36th Avenue North and at TotalDogCompany.com. Do yourself a
4: favor and check out the amazing cuisine of EatLocalMinnesota.com. More than just a website, EatLocalMinnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. The award-winning Hazel's Northeast combines the feel of a small-town diner with the vibrant nature of its northeast Minneapolis neighborhood. Whether it's breakfast, lunch, weekend brunch, or dinner, their classically inspired and creatively prepared American comfort food is always made from scratch. Hazel's Northeast at 29th and Johnson in Northeast Minneapolis. EatLocalMinnesota.com The dedicated staff at Nightingale Restaurant take pride in presenting a thoughtful and delicious approach to food and drink, whether you're visiting for dinner, happy hour, or brunch. Their focus on made-from-scratch meals using sustainable and local ingredients is likely to make Nightingale your go-to spot for inspired food and drinks. Nightingale, Lindell and 26th in Minneapolis.
6: Hi, Matt McNeil here. It's the 2019 Blue State Ball set for Saturday, March 2nd at the Blaisdell Mansion in Minneapolis. Coming back to the Twin Cities is Tom Hartman and John Fugelsang. We begin the evening with a VIP event starting at 5 p.m. And at 6.30, the general admission begins. We're expecting a ton of special political guests. And look for Doug Paget Ellie Krug, Brett Hunter, and myself too. Tickets are available at the door.
5: VIP and general admission. Make sure you join us. It's the Blue State Ball Saturday night in Minneapolis at the Blaisdell with AM950 Radio.
6: This is Chad, owner of AM950. I've been telling you about my friends at Snap Construction who are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior construction company in the metro. Don't just take my word for it. Take a look at all their reviews online. Winter is the most cost-effective time of the year to complete your construction project. A majority of Minnesotans choose to have their work completed on their home in the summer when they should be enjoying the weather. As a result, the demand for labor in the summer is much higher. The most cost-effective way to improve or restore your home is in the winter due to the lower demand. Right now, Snap Construction is offering an additional 30% off of labor to the AM950 listeners on your next construction project between now and the end of February. Call 612-333-SNAP and mention AM950 for an additional 30% off. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. Don't wait to get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP. Or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. (laughs)
0: Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant and nourish the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person excited about the Blue State Ball tonight Tonight in Minneapolis at Blaisdell. There will be tickets available at the door, so remember Blue State Ball tonight, Saturday. And we've been having a, a wonderful conversation about uh, Moses' conference that happened last weekend, uh, the Midwest Organic Sustainable Education Service. And with us for this segment is Sylvia uh, Toftis. Um, she has um, a, a podcast called Deep Roots Radio, also um, the acting director for MOSE's, uh, Lauren Langsworthy. So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I I wanted to make sure we get in this talk about the importance of women and communities of color getting active in the organic or the regenerative food system. Sylvia, do you want to take on that?
7: Sure. Well, um, women in agriculture, minorities in agriculture, uh, those are some of the largest growing sectors within the organic uh, agricultural movement. Um, and that's really important. I think uh, women are seeing themselves more, are interacting with, with each other a whole lot more. And Moses certainly has been doing a great job of providing networking and uh, technical education for women entering into this field. So I'm really happy to be within that group, which is, whoa, so enthusiastic and range in age from, you know, 19 or 17 till, you know, 93 so it's a really active and good group. And certainly I appreciate the fact that I entered up in farming at, at an age when most people are retiring. I'm a Latina from the Bronx. And it, I found it to be a very welcoming, very welcoming community. You know, you bring the gifts that you've had from other careers and other life and you just bring them forward. And I think that uh, that's good. It's also challenging, however, I, you know, you got to admit it, it can be challenged to be a minority farmer. In a world that doesn't um, is not used to it, and so uh, within the organic foods community, it's, uh, it's it's it is a place that we need and we want and we recognize both the gifts and the opportunities for minority farmers.
0: Great, Lauren.
8: Yeah, well, I think Moses in particular has really worked on developing a women network, in particular, um, and and underserved farmer community networks more broadly. But, you know, um, even this coming October, we are planning the Women in Sustainable Agriculture Conference, the WISA Conference. So that'll be October 17th through the 19th and an opportunity for women nationally to gather and talk about agriculture and their place within the food system and how we can develop the system that we want to see. Um, but the organization has really made an effort, and especially in the last few years here, to, to support our underserved farmer communities, whether they be women farmers, beginning farmers, immigrant farmers, minority farmers, um, we all have so much to contribute, and lack of attention to those various sectors does not mean lack of importance. And so we're trying to focus our attention a little bit better to be more intentional about bringing in those ideas into the network.
0: Well, how do we scale this up? Because um, climate change is real and organic regenerative farming is one of the best ways to, um, to really be, uh, 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 to keep our, our, our species alive. I mean, do you agree with that? Well, certainly,
7: <laughs> well, certainly uh, the, the the Midwest Organic Sustainable and Education Services Organization, MOSES, has done a great job of trying to keep its finger on the pulse of what's needed to move things forward in over 30 years of conference. And at this past one just now, uh, earlier this month, there was a a whole day devoted to looking to the future called Organics 2051. And at that uh, session, there were over 100 people from many different um, walks within agriculture who came together to take a look at those needs as well as the obstacles and the opportunities to move forward. I I attended as a, an observer. Um, I I moved around from table to table to take a to, to be able to listen to what people were saying about why why is it that it's difficult to move this forward? What are the policies? Uh, how do we increase acreage? How do we diversify the farmer network? What do we need in the way of research? And I know uh, Lauren is really familiar with this project. And you probably got more.
8: Well, yeah, I think um, an important thing to talk about is um, just kind of the whole concept of this Organic 2051. Um, and I would actually describe it kind of like I would describe a murmuration of birds or a school of fish. Um, science has shown us that more ideas acting together come up with better solutions. And so we're... As we look at 2051, we're kind of using that swarm intelligence concept to bring a whole bunch of people who are involved in the food system in one way or another into the discussion about what the future should look like. And this document that we've created through Organic 2051 and the conversations that happen there can then help us sort of act as a a community strategic plan. Uh, Around it, we can develop partnerships, and those partnerships and all of our individual projects can be formed by a better collective vision of where we're headed with all of this. And I think that's just a really thrilling opportunity for both our organization and for the larger agricultural movement to to thrive and and head in a better direction.
0: I absolutely love that uh, swarm intellect co-creating this emergent type of um, living economics and that's what, Absolutely. And so that's we're, what
8: yeah. we all need to work together in order to make this future that we want to see
7: so we're done our yeah, last... and, and Moses is Moses is committed to this wisdom of the crowd so 2051 and that, that day long meeting was, was significant but it's that kind of connection is something that we want to foster going forward Many, many other voices need to be brought into the conversation.
0: Correct. Uh, Down in the last two minutes, I want to make sure um, you each have time to tell people how they can learn more about you and how to connect.
8: Absolutely. Well, Well, I would recommend, first of all, contacting uh, Moses by looking at our website. It's MosesOrganic.org. And there you can find all sorts of resources, information about our programs, information about how to donate, and really just get a better sense of who we are and what we offer. Um, The other thing that I would recommend that people be aware of is that we have an Ask a Specialist helpline. So you can email, text, or call and talk with an organic farmer who can help you Solve your own farm problems and so for all the farmers listening uh, that's a really great resource that we're proud to offer and, and it's really a part of our network.
0: And, and Sylvia you, you offer high tea so I want to make sure we hear about that.
7: Uh, yeah, Not only do we um, offer our beef for sale and it's a web store but I also offer uh, bread baking classes as well as cowgirl high teas where people actually come around uh, silverware linen and you know cut cut crystal but the conversation is around good food and all the products are are, uh, handmade so they can go to my website Bronx to
0: barn.com. well I thank you so much uh, Lawrence Langsworthy she's with uh, she's the acting executive director of Moses Jim Wilder riddle was with us Ms Moses organic farmer of the year and Sylvia Bogus toughness and remember it's Saturday night it is the doors will be open at the Blue State ball tickets will be available at the door so for more information about the Blue State ball go to am950.com am 950 radio.com you've been listening to food Freedom radio I'm Laura Headland have an awesome
7: weekend.
6: Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show, your source for elder care and caregiver solutions, inviting you to listen to our live call-in show airing on Saturdays from noon to one. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding elder care and caregiver issues to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your best quality of life. Please join us this Saturday from noon to 1 for the Minnesota Hospice and Healthcare Show and learn more about us at
5: Minnesotahospice.com.